Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about Rome. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Rome guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge and you can get any question about Rome answered by real people right here. The best way to visit the Colosseum, how to get around, where to find an absolutely beautiful carbonara. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, no AI ever. And for a limited time, it's completely free. The Circa Travel app is available in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Hi everyone, my name's Neil Innes. I'm one of the folks at Circa in charge of all of the amazing travel guides we're launching this summer. And I also host the Circa Guide to Barcelona from this beautiful city on the Mediterranean. We'd like to invite you to download the Circa app for iOS for free. It's out right now in the App Store. Inside the Circa app, you'll find maps and info on all the places we recommend, plus bonus episodes and early access to all of the other guides. Go to circatravel.com or click the link in the notes. Right now, you'll be able to listen to Circa Guide episodes about London, Barcelona, Los Angeles, Rome, and Iceland. And coming soon, Paris, Mexico City, Hawaii, Costa Rica, and more. Once more, that's circatravel.com, spelled C-E-R-C-A travel.com. I'll see you there. Welcome to Circa. In the Start Here episode, we will be listing a lot of places, people, and incredible things in Rome. This is an overview episode, a snapshot. We'll be getting into the city and its food, its history, culture, and personality. And so, with that in mind, we're going to tell you a lot. But don't worry, there will be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in these guides in the Circa app, as well as all the other full guide episodes to this wonderful city. Whether you're in Rome, heading there right now, or somewhere in the near future, or you would just like to learn about somewhere we truly love, you're in the right place. This is what we do. So just sit back, put your headphones on, and enjoy the ride. Let's go to Roma. Circa, love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. It's a warm day in Rome. The summer stickiness has gone and the cool autumn is beginning to show. You can hear seagulls in the sky reminding you that the sea isn't too far away. A golden sun shines on the terracotta roof. It's like honey is slowly being dribbled on them. Welcome to golden hour perfection. Welcome to the eternal city. Welcome to Rome. The cobblestones under your feet are from the 16th century. They're called San Pietrini. Literally translated small St. Peter's because the first one were in St. Peter's Square, home of the Vatican. Now they're all over the Centro Storico of Rome. Within the first five minutes of stepping inside the Roman center, the line between past and present begins to blur. And it is marvelous. 
Time is a fickle thing, and Rome is so enamored with the past, which is both a blessing and its curse. It's as if the city has invited the future over for a visit, but evolving is really hard to do. It is what makes Romans fall in love with this place over and over again, but it is also why we're so frustrated by it. Here, the past still reigns supreme. Romans have a unique relationship with time. You will often hear shopkeepers asking their neighbor for time or see businessmen suddenly run from restaurants realizing they're late for their next meeting. The idea of being on time can really mean 15 or 30 minutes later, especially among friends. Because a surprising view of a luxurious dessert or a sparkling conversation should never be interrupted by an appointment. Rome is almost 3,000 years old, so the distractions can be many. From food to politics, art and archaeology, Romans are experts at being distracted just enough to appreciate it all, but still arrive kinda in time for dinner. Making a plan here isn't like making a plan anywhere else in the world, but we're here to help. My name is Virginia Viglier. I'm a writer. I've lived and written in many places and in many languages. But my Roman accent gives away my true roots, especially when I'm speaking with passion. I was born here, in one of the oldest and most beautiful cities in the world. A midnight walk home from a restaurant in my teens might have found me staring at the Colosseum lit up by a big full moon. I am still in awe of this great beauty, and I'm going to take you on a trip through my beloved city, a city of contradictions and perfections, of nuns strolling alongside you while Italian hip-hop pounds on a car stereo. And your path is marked by marble statues, growing light and terracotta walls. There are 28 centuries of stories to tell. So, andiamo! Where are we? Rome was founded on April 21st, 753 BC. Legend has it the twin brothers, Romulus and Remus, were adopted by a she-wolf following their mother's murder. They lived together until one day Romulus killed his brother. He then went on to build the city and became the first king of Rome. You can see a sculpture of the she-wolf and the twins in the Musei Capitolini. This is the oldest museum in the world. It was founded in 1471 on the stunning Piazza del Campidoglio in the Campitelli neighborhood. It isn't too far from Piazza Venezia and features Roman artworks from all centuries. There will be much more about this place in our episodes all about the art of Rome in this guide. Rome was once the capital of the Roman Empire, a sphere of influence that at its height, around the year 100 AD, extended over the entire basin of the Mediterranean Sea. From Spain to Albania, north to England and south through Egypt and North Africa, all ruled from this city. Rome is cut into the east and west by the River Tiber, which is extremely useful for orientation in the big city. When you're looking at a map, always locate the river then you will know which side you're on. Romans don't really have names for the two sides of the river. It's not like Paris's left and right bank. Rather, they'll talk about the city by referencing the neighborhoods. Trastevere and Gianicolo, you're on the west side. Pantheon and Colosseum, east side. You can catch the best views by walking on Ponte Sisto. This pedestrian bridge built in the 1400s links the heart of Trastevere to the beginning of Via Giulia. Absorb the view as you listen to the buskers who make everything so much more romantic. 
From here, you'll be able to walk to most of the main monuments, churches, and relics. The ancient city center is around five kilometers in radius, so it's perfectly reasonable to wander from one side to the other on foot. Main points like the Pantheum and the Colosseum are an easy 20-minute walk from each other. Plus, on foot, you'll get to experience all those wonderful distractions of the city like a local. Let's just say Rome is unexpected. As much as you want it to, nothing here goes exactly as planned. But this is the beauty of my city. Where to stay? Rome takes between three days and a lifetime to get to know. So make sure you visit for at least those three days. Please. That's just enough time to see the basics and maybe a little bit more, and to absorb Rome with a touch of the carefree leisure that is part of the Roman DNA. If it's your first time in the city, you should book your place to stay in the historical center. Stick around Trastevere, Campo dei Fiori or Pantheon. Also near Piazza Navona is a good bet. My Navona B&B will cost around 100 euros for a double or twin room and it's in a great location. If you can afford a little more, Hoxton is an up-and-coming hotel near Villa Borghese. I love the urban chic interior. And De Rossi is a classic for those who want to splurge. With a view of the Colosseum, of course. Don't stay exactly on top of the monuments and hotspots, but find the little alleys in between. It will be a bit quieter and you'll be much more likely to experience a slice of Rome like a local. Remember, most of the must-dos will be close by no matter where in the city centre you are. This is important because the best way to do Rome is on foot, like the good old days. Getting acquainted with a quick Roman stroll. Rome is a rambling city. It's hard to explain, but you never really end up where you want to be. Or if you do, you arrive changed. A left turn can show you something wild. A right turn can show you something completely infuriating. And if you go straight, you will immediately get lost. But this is the most fun about this labyrinthian city. Getting lost is Rome. So, let's take a little walk. Piazza Farnese. The story of the square starts in the 16th century, when Cardinal Alessandro Farnese, who later became Pope, bought several houses and demolished them to create space for a new palace. The piazza is surrounded by houses colored in all shades of gold. It's stunning, especially under the low dusk sun. There are two marble fountains which were put there, just because they look nice. Romans are chic by blood, and as you take a deeper dive into the city, you'll realize that so many things were, and are, done for just one thing, pleasure. Come by in the early morning for a simple stroll and watch Romans start their day. Or come in the evening and get a bite and a glass of wine at Ristorante Camponeschi. In Rome, you don't need to be doing anything. In piazzas, we are usually just hanging out. Learn the art of dolce far niente, surrounded by beauty. The Palazzo Farnese, on one side of the square, was donated to the French Embassy in 1936 for a 99-year lease. The palace is full of marble statues, incredible arches and domes, and priceless frescoes by Baroque painter Carracci. There's a story that the rent for the palace is an astounding 4 euros per year. Be sure to book your visit through their website in advance. 
They're very strict on both timings, quantities of people, and personal information required. So don't leave this in your last-minute planning pile. Visiting days are limited to Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and tickets come up to 12 euros per person. Except children under six, they get in for free. And now let's keep walking, perhaps closer towards a little of that Roman heart. As we walk, let's start with some of the basics of Italian communication, which to be sure is a many-layered, highly nuanced, and sometimes totally insane thing. What does ciao actually mean? It's both hello and goodbye. Buongiorno during the day or buonasera at night are more polite ways to greet those you don't know. Even better, say salve when you come in. They will be surprised. Also, you will see people using hand gestures to communicate. Do not get into that. It's like learning a whole other language. Just avoid doing the stereotypical gestures of pinching your fingers together while flaunting a fake Italian accent. Eh, pizza, pasta, romano. That's not cool. Romans shout a lot. In restaurants, on the streets, when driving. It's a whole other language, in fact. It is called the Roman heart, a sort of tender but sharp tone adopted by many locals when they're doing something passionately, which is most of the time. Never take it personally. It is all done with love. I always tell people, if you want to see the soul of a city, go to the market. This is Piazza Campo dei Fiori. From early in the morning to early afternoon every day except Sunday, this cobblestone square fills with action. The florists, the fishmongers, the waiters, the butchers, bartenders and pharmacists, the bright red tomatoes that come in every shape or form, the olives, the spices, basil, rosemary, lemons, oranges. This is an authentic festival of smells and colors. The market has been operating here since the late 1800s. The name of the piazza, Campo dei Fiori, is literally translated to field of flowers, because according to legend, around the year 300, this was in fact a large flowery field. Piazza Campo dei Fiori, Campo for the locals, is famous as the place where death sentences were handed out in the 16th century. In the center, there is a statue of a hooded man, Giordano Bruno, a philosopher, mathematician, poet and friar. He was burned in this exact spot during the 16th century Roman Inquisition for denying core Catholic doctrines. The statue is an impressive reminder of the dark history that has tainted Rome for centuries. Writing science in that time could get you killed. Thousands of heretics and women accused of being witches were burned at the stakes right here. If you're staying in an apartment around the square, be aware that it's almost never quiet here. From the market that kicks off early in the morning to the raucous young Romans partying late into the night. Personally, I love the energy. But if you're a light sleeper, make sure you bring your earplugs. To visit, go in the morning when the market is at its freshest and to avoid tons of drunk teenagers drinking Bacardi breezers. As strange as this image may seem, get used to it. In Rome, everything is so ancient and sacred that the city has just had to continue living and evolving as its history remains present. The weather. Romans are extremely lucky with our climate. There are approximately 286 days of sunshine per year in the Eternal City. And if you get caught up in one of those rainy days, ditch the ponchos that scream, I'm a tourist, and just look around. Umbrella vendors will magically pop out of nowhere. 
buy one of those, but not for more than eight euros. The vendors will try to get you up to 10, but if you're really good, you can totally seal the deal at five. Yes, haggling is entirely expected, but not quite everywhere. At street vendors or markets, go ahead. It's part of the game. But please don't negotiate a restaurant bill. In deep summer, temperatures can peak at 40 degrees Celsius, over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And in the winter, they can drop to minus three, just below freezing. The sun shines almost all year and the city is perpetually beautiful. Like many European cities, August is hot and slow and many things shut down so that the Romans can flee to the countryside for lazy afternoon Negronis. Romans love their holidays. If you do visit in August, carry plenty of water with you and stay in the museums during the hottest hours of the day. public transport. Rome's public transport system is a network of subways, trams, buses and rails. All services are provided by a company, ATAC. This means that with one ticket you can get access to the whole public transport network. You can buy tickets at local newspaper stores, tobacco stores and at every metro stations. Pay in cash or swipe your bank card directly at most stations. It's worth noting that American Express is not accepted in most places in the city. Rome only has two main underground lines, the A and the B. The reason for so few is not out of laziness or bad planning. The reason is that every time they start digging underground, some archaeological treasure that needs to be investigated is always found. It is a common joke between locals that when something is never going to happen, we say, like the C metro. The two metro lines link the center to more residential areas. If you're taking it during the day, keep a lookout for pickpockets. You can get to a lot of main points of interest by metro, but if your hotel is central, you can just walk to most places. I really don't recommend hailing a cab, unless you want to experience Roman traffic. But if you do take taxis, make sure you do it at an official taxi stop, especially near the most touristic areas. And make sure they haven't already started the meter when you hop in. Sometimes taxi drivers can be really cheeky. The bus system is a bit more complicated because it's infinitely more chaotic. There are bus routes going everywhere, but the biggest problem is you never know how long you will be waiting for one. Could be five minutes, could be 30. It's just a gamble you have to take. So, like I said, the best way to do Rome is walking it. The cobblestones are uneven and have gaps between them. You may look like an ad for Valentino walking along these wonky paths in your stilettos, but it's time to take out your sneakers. You'll thank me later. Now, with your comfy shoes on, let's talk about what you shouldn't miss. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The must-dos. Rome is more of an open-air museum than a city, and a lot of its wonders are free. If you feel like entering a church, no matter how small it is, chances are it will be free and beautiful. But there are, of course, the things you cannot miss, which are often crowded with other visitors. So let's talk about how to do them right. Number one, Piazza Navona. This is one of the main tourist attractions in Rome. Navona is a gem. This glorious square is wide enough for the sun to shine on it all day. The blue water of the fountain is contrasted by the white marble statues from 15 and 16th centuries. In ancient Rome, the site was a stadium built during Emperor Domitian's rule in the first century. Nowadays, Piazza Navona is best known as a location for Baroque architecture, like Gian Lorenzo Bernini's famous Fontana dei Quattro Fiumi, the Fountain of Four Rivers. Drinking a coffee or a Campari spritz on Navona and people watching is what we do here. Camillo is a great little place favored by the locals. The other cafes tend to cater to tourists and might overcharge. Order an espresso and drink it in the sun. Roman coffee etiquette, which deserves its own chapter, will be discussed in our food episodes in this guide, so make sure you don't miss it. Nearby is the San Luigi de Francesco, the Church of St. Louis of the French, an architectural standout in a city full of breathtaking architecture. This used to be the church of the French community in the 16th centuries, and it is still considered Francis' church in Rome. Enter and be mesmerized by three of Caravaggio's masterpieces, including The Calling of St. Matthew, which is one of the painter's most famous. It's known for the artistry of the painted light shining through the window. Keep a couple of euros handy for donations and to turn on the light over the painting. The area around Navona is a beautiful place to get lost in. And here, that's fine, because time does not matter. Same vacanza. You're on vacation. Number two, the Pantheon. The Pantheon is a monument to resilience and endurance, an impressively well-maintained building that has seen wars, plagues, destruction and rebirth, and it is still standing stoically. In fact, it is the only ancient building in the city that has remained nearly intact through the centuries. This ancient Roman temple is usually crowded. Visiting in the early morning weekdays should avoid the majority of masses. There's no ticket fee, and the only times you need to book your tickets, still free, are Saturdays and Sundays, or national holidays. Do it at least a day in advance and you're good to go. From the Pantheon on to number three, Piazza Venezia. This massive hub of city traffic and activity is one of the busiest roundabouts in Rome. On one side, the wedding cake-looking structure, the Vittoriano, or Altare della Patria, stands tall. It's sometimes called the typewriter because of its stack of 135 stone steps. This massive monument was built in the 1800s and early 1900s in honor of Victor Emmanuel II, the first king of a unified Italy. 
he's memorialized in sculpture on a horse, high atop the tiered platforms. Up the steps, you'll find the tomb of the unknown soldier, which has come to represent all the Italian soldiers lost at war. Piazza Venezia is the anchor of Italian nationalism. The central roundabout is surrounded by buildings that have seen some of the most important historical events of the 20th century. Across the piazza from Il Vittoriano is Palazzo Venezia, the former offices of Mussolini, where he used to deliver his fiery speeches from a balcony of thousands who would gather in the square below. You can visit its inner courtyard and get away from the noise to hear birds singing and water flowing. If you're lucky, you may even catch one of the artist's performance organized here in the summer. There's no website, so check what's on while you're here. The whole piazza is a gigantic open space, carriages and horses weaving between honking cars and zippy vespas. The traffic patterns don't always make a lot of sense to the uninitiated, but there is an order in there somewhere. Oh, a life-saving thing to know. Romans completely ignore pedestrian crossing, crosswalks, roundabouts, stop signs. Please, don't just walk into the road. Here, if you wait for cars to pass, they won't stop for you. This is true for the whole city. The relationship between pedestrians and vehicles is always in a state of negotiation. Be brave, sure, but don't play chicken with Italian drivers. Always stop and look both ways before you cross, and if a car is distant enough, just gesture with your hand that they should stop because you're passing. Romans don't like rules, but we love hand gestures. Otherwise, find a street light. They stop at those. Well, mostly. Head down Via dei Fari Imperiali, a beautiful cobblestone road through the ruins of imperial forums. At the end, you'll find the ultimate symbol of Rome. Number four, the almighty Colosseum. Before you reach the Colosseum, you'll want to take in the Roman Forum. The Forum was essentially a shopping mall, the center of ancient Roman life. There were markets, banks, temples, and venues for public speeches, elections, and criminal trials. A guided tour is your best way to see the Forum, so we've put a tour link in the notes for you. On a sunny day, it is beautiful to walk around the ruins, and if it's hot, maybe take the dramatically lit up Forum at night. A very important tip, do not ever have food in your hand. That goes for you and your kids. The seagulls here have as passionate a Roman heart as everyone else. They are aggressive and will dive and steal your food. It's pretty funny to see tourists with sandwiches in their hands running away from seagulls. Find a good spot to watch. You'll agree with me. Another little secret. Stop at the church Cosima e Damiano on the same street. It is free, like all the 900 churches in the city, and has a stunning little courtyard. The whole back of the church is a window that looks into the forums and you can see the tomb of Romulus without having to queue. Shh, don't tell anyone else. The Colosseum is the biggest amphitheater in the world. This theater has witnessed slaughter, war, plagues and millions of tiny humans floored by its glory. Be it the free food and wine or the bloody battles between gladiators, slaves and beasts, Romans of all classes would come here. Death was part of the daily happening, either eaten by lions and bears, fighting for air in the dungeons, or falling from the top of the theater. It was carnage. Make sure you get a ticket in advance to avoid long queues and go with a guide that can explain the thousand stories that those walls cannot tell you.
Booking a ticket for the Coliseum might be tricky. Tickets sell out really fast. Doing it through a tour company is probably your best bet. Although there is a lot of value in exploring a city on your own and at your own pace, if there is one city's monuments you need a guide for, it's Rome. An additional pro tip, as romantic as it sounds, do not eat at the restaurants around the Colosseum. This place sees 6.5 million tourists come in and out every year. Quality is not their forte. Bring a bottle of water that you can fill at one of the thousand fountains around the city, one of Rome's wonderful perks, and pack food. For a quick break, Celio in Food makes great sandwiches and is right next to the Colosseum. I recommend getting a pizza rossa, essentially a focaccia with tomato, or a sandwich with your favorite bread and some cacio cavallo and ham. You can even add some wonderful roasted veggies in it. If you're willing to stroll a bit further, take a walk through the beautiful Colle Oppio Park and head to Monti. I absolutely love this neighborhood, full of vintage shops and aperitivo spots. Get yourself a classic Roman meal at the Taverna Romana. Their gnocchi is divine, but you can only eat it on Thursdays, a Roman tradition. Any other day, try their Bucatini alla Grisha or their Faraona, a guinea fowl with olives. If you're just turning up, this is Rome, so I suggest you ask for the dish of the day or what they recommend. Trust the chef. If your Colosseum tour and all those stories of gladiators leave you in need of something more civilized, have a glass of wine at Alvino Alvino in Monti, a cute little wine bar favored by the locals. You can get a glass of any number of delicious Italian vintages, properly aged cheese and a dish of homemade caponata. Tell the waiters how you want your wine. With body, red, white, fruity or dry, they will have delicious answers. It's fun, helpful and will get you more attention over the course of the meal. Speaking of which... Food in Rome. I don't need to tell you how good Italian food is. You already know. The world knows. Each region has their own specialties, recipes based on local ingredients and local characters. Every dish has an origin tale, or ten, and through food, we have always told our story. From carbonara to amatriciana to suppli to pizza al taglio to polpette, cicoria, trapezzini, Italians love to eat. Not only that, but we love to talk about it. At lunch, we will talk about dinner. At dinner, we will talk about our favorite restaurant that makes the same dish we're eating, but better. Or maybe not. It's an obsession. Roman food is special and known for its use of the, quote, poorest ingredients. Post-war Rome was characterized by a huge economic crisis where many people survived on very little. From this, we get the cucina povera, which turns every part of the animal into a delicacy. A full meal in Italy, at lunch or dinner, looks like this. Antipasto, usually something light, fried artichokes, a must-try in Rome, or a salad of bitter chicory. And then primo, usually a carb-based dish like pasta or rice. This is followed by secondo, meat or fish with vegetables, which you will sometimes choose as individual sides. And then, of course, a dolce, dessert. This is the traditional way, and you will see menus divided this way in every restaurant. Obviously, you're not expected to eat this much, and most Italians don't. We choose either primo or secondo and share antipastis, but a dinner at your nonna's will see you go through all the courses. 
Lunch and dinner are full meals, but if you do want to keep it light, just share a few antipasti on the menu. That's perfectly acceptable. There are, however, things that are not acceptable. For example, you know the whole idea that the customer is always right? This does not apply when it comes to food in Italy. Don't take it as an offense. Take it as an exercise of trust. Here, whoever is offering you food is the expert. Restaurants are like extended homes, especially in trattorias. The cook will cook with his whole heart, his way. Along with all that love, there are some rules. Let me give you the basics. I'm sweet, kind and understanding, but I have had fights about food before. And I will again. Once, I pretended I was sick when an Irish friend made me his own version of carbonara with cream and onions. Do not do that. Ever. Don't be put off if a waiter refuses to serve you a cappuccino at the table in the restaurant after 11 a.m. or if they judge you for asking for cheese for your plate on spaghetti with clams. Unless it's pecorino. More on this in our Roman food episode. Eating here is a bit like the English language. A lot of rules with very specific exceptions. Many call it arrogance, but I call it a serious passion. If you want to enjoy authentic food in Italy, you need to trust whoever's serving you. Ask what's good, always. And now for the gladiator fight of carbohydrates. In Rome, there are two teams, Carbonara and Dramatriciana. We are pasta purists. Be free in the kitchen and whatever, but you couldn't call a Caravaggio a Klimt, a Basquiat, a Picasso. Different artists, different things. Carbonara is made with eggs, pecorino and guanciale, which is cured pork jowl. It tastes a bit like bacon. Add anything else, for sure. But don't call it a carbonara. Romans have very strong opinions on their local dishes, and the story of the origin of this dish can be found in the 1700s. Each restaurant makes its own version and it has been perfected throughout the years. If you want a classic taster, go to La Carbonara in Campo dei Fiori. But I also love the modern twist on the classic dish at egg. Twist or no, I don't care. I just want to swim in it. And you will too. Egg is a modern but comfortable restaurant in the quaint Trastevere neighborhood that has elevated Rome's egg love affair. If you want to push tradition aside for a second with carbonara, try the one with truffles or mushrooms. But if you want to stay in the lane and go classic, they offer that too. It's also served in jars that make it all seem very hip. With Amatriciana, it's a similar story. Conflicting origin stories confuse food critics all over the world. Most believe the recipe comes from a small town outside of Rome named Amatrice. This is where they have the world's most delicious guanciale, Once again, three main ingredients, guanciale, pecorino, and tomato sauce. It sounds simple, but tastes wonderfully complex. Apparently, this recipe was passed through word of mouth amongst farmers in Armatrice. Somehow, it made its way to Rome. Trattoria da Teo in Trastevere has a delicious amatriciana, as well as a wonderful grisha, which is basically the tomato-less version. I love this restaurant. It sits on a small piazza in Trastevere, surrounded by houses that have turned green from the ivy that has embraced it. Idyllic. Make sure you book in advance, but if you don't find a spot, you can get delicious amatriciana from Maccheroni in Piazza Coppelle and also Trattoria Vecchia Roma in Esquilino, where you will see people come from all over the country to taste it. After amatriciana and carbonara, there is a third dish, a third team and it's really the dawn. Cacio e pepe. 
The original recipe has only two ingredients, pecorino and pepper. We proudly call it one of our vegetarian dishes. It may seem as though anyone can cook this dish, but in fact it requires the most exquisite timing so that the cheese softens just enough to blend with the bite of pepper and coat the perfectly cooked pasta. So simple and so, so good. Da Felice in Testaccio is famous for having one of the best recipes in Rome. Waiters mix it for you right at the table. Trattoria da Teo has a wonderful version of this dish with prawns and lime. Accompany a cacio e pepe with a glass of full-bodied red wine and you will feel like a proper Italian. Italians hate queuing, except for one thing, la pizza bianca. It looks a bit like what you might call a focaccia, but not really. This pizza is traditionally cut in large squares, and Bianca is deceptively simple, just olive oil and sea salt on a perfectly blistered crust. As with the best Roman food, fewer ingredients does not make a dish less tasty. Where to get the best? Just off Piazza Campo dei Fiori. Take Via dei Giubonari and head to Forno Roscioli. This 100-year-old family-owned bakery will leave you drooling. Pizza, of the kind you might be picturing, is traditionally a Neapolitan dish, but Romans have adopted a way of eating pizza that is, of course, more comfortable and pleasurable. As a Roman, my favorite thing is to get pizza bianca and eat it as I walk. Around the corner from Forno Roscioli, there is a dreamy courtyard called Arco degli Acetari. Wander through the ancient arched passageways while you eat your pizza bianca. Just to be clear, it is called pizza al taglio, which essentially means that you decide where to cut it. You can get a piece as big as you want. Pizza al taglio has developed through the years, and you can find truly gourmet places that sell it. Imagine it with a pumpkin cream, pancetta and fresh black pepper, or with burrata and tomato. If you want to try some crazy combinations, go to Bonci Pizzarium in Cipro, not too far from the Vatican. They also have delicious fried bowls with carbonara pasta or amatriciana. They go crazy, and every day is a new thing, so just check the day's special. There will be a queue, but the characters in the queue might entertain you. Romans usually do. It is sold by weight. You tell them how much you want, they weigh it, and next thing you know, you want more. You say, un pezzo di questa, which essentially means a piece of that. Whoever is serving you will put the knife on the pizza to show you where they will cut. If you want it bigger, just say, un po' di più, per favore. When you reach the perfect size, just say, così, perfetto, grazie. You've never really tasted a city until you've had some street food. There's one that might be even more iconic than the pizza, and that, my friends, is supli. This fried ball of tomato risotto with mozzarella inside is Roman pride. Don't mistake it with arancini, which is a fried rice ball from Sicily. How to eat this fried ball of perfection? Do not bite right into it. You might melt your taste buds off. Split it in half and let the vapor make the world around you fade away. And just as the fog starts to clear, dig in. Eating a soupli with your hands while standing in the middle of a street is pure and utter joyous abandonment. Test it at Supplizio on Via dei Banchi Vecchi in Rione Regola. Don't worry, we'll put all these wonderful spots on a map for you. To add pleasure to pleasure, Italians also invented aperitivo. 
in Turin. Around the 16th century, this blissful pre-dinner, thoroughly elegant drinking tradition evolved and then spread from the top to the bottom of the boot. The aperitif originated as an alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage to be drunk before meals to stimulate appetite. A typical example is the Campari Spritz. Three simple ingredients combined with perfection. Campari, Prosecco and orange. In Rome, everyone does aperitivo. Wine or beer or spritz, alone or with friends, it's an excuse to fill the time between the end of a work day and dinner with something delightful. Usually it is accompanied by small snacks like cheese or breadsticks, so you're not completely drunk when you get to dinner. In some places the concept has been elevated and for many it sometimes runs long and literally replaces dinner. We call it apericena, a combination of words between aperitivo and dinner, cena in Italian. A typical way of doing apericena is paying a little bit more for a glass of wine and getting a delicious buffet menu included. Places like Frenia Frizione have a great wine selection and the food is delicious. Barley salad, pesto pastas, roasted potatoes and vegetables, charcuterie, cheeses, you name it, they got it. For a more regular aperitivo experience, I love Giulio Passami l'olio, which translated means Giulio Pass Me the Oil, and Giulietta on Via Giulia, an idyllic, quiet road of cobblestones and ivies. Or, if you've been scoping out the neighborhood churches where all the Caravaggios hang, Bar del Fico behind Piazza Navona is a great choice. I could go on and on, and on, with food, but I won't right here. This is just the aperitivo, you could say, of the orgasmic experience that is eating in the Eternal City. You will hear more about modern restaurants, aperitivo, coffee etiquette, gelato, pizza, and so much more in our Eat Here episode in this Rome Guide. Art in a city that is a work of art. In Rome, we're spoiled for impressive monuments because the city has been the place of incredible artistic expression since the year dot. And more recently, the 60s and 70s saw a fantastic explosion of creative art. These are some of the spots that don't always show up on the tourist maps, but I wouldn't skip them. First, Chiostro del Bramante. This Renaissance building, commissioned by a cardinal around 1500, hosts some of the most well-curated exhibitions in the city. The shows here run the gamut, from Frida Kahlo to Banksy to Escher, and the inner courtyard is a gem. Check out what's happening on their official website when you're here. We'll put a link in the notes. Another must-do is Galleria Borghese, a marble paradise filled with mythological sculptures made by meticulous hands, from ancient through modern eras. This is a Renaissance villa in the middle of a beautiful park. It's like beauty on beauty on beauty. It's beauty inception. For some contemporary art, head to Maxi in Flaminio. The building was designed by the late architect Zaha Hadid and hosts various exhibitions throughout the years from photography to architecture and more. It houses an array of pieces from artists from the year 900 to today. And then, the great classics. Of course, you have to go to the Vatican Museums. These are the public museums of the Vatican City. Gold, marble and diamonds, Bernini, Caravaggio, Michelangelo, Raffaello. The Vatican Museums are massive. Plan half a day. 
minimum. And you won't even see all the Renaissance masterpieces. It is totally ostentatious, but undeniable. Be sure to book your ticket to the museum ahead of time, then you can enter via the pre-booked queue. If you simply show up and get in line to buy tickets, you might be waiting a very, very long time. There's only one path through the Vatican museums, sort of like a one-way route through the many rooms and exhibits and down hallways that are gilded and muraled over literally every inch of wall and ceiling space. This path through the museums leads to the most famous church in the world, the Sistine Chapel. This is an example of human patience, perseverance, artistic accomplishment, and the extraordinary ability humans have to make something on this earth divine. It took Michelangelo and his helpers, who never get enough credit, seven years to finish. The frescoes reveal the story of Christ and Moses. It's painted on walls of different forms, concave, straight and triangular. It all fits perfectly. For the Vatican Museum, it's worth getting an audio or tour guide. If you leave the Sistine Chapel, make time to explore St. Peter's Square. There is a post office in the square and you can mail postcards that will arrive stamped by the Vatican, which is a pretty cool souvenir to send someone. Rome with kids. Roman piazzas in the 70s were filled with children playing football. Italians are family-oriented people, and Romans love kids. I used to always get my cheek gently pinched by every restaurant manager. And so many times when I played with my friends in the piazzas, the local butcher would join us in kicking the football around. We are a huge family. If you're traveling with your little munchkins in Rome, know that all the main attractions are kid-friendly and with discounts for the little ones. Kids also love the impressive Fontana di Trevi. It is the largest Baroque fountain in the city and it is quite well known, so head there in the morning when there will be fewer visitors crowding the space. Make sure you have coins with you so your kids can put their backs to the fountain and throw them over their shoulders with a wish. On a sunny day, a trip to Ostia Antica can be really fun for the kids. This archaeological site is in Ostia, a neighborhood far from the center and close to the sea. Get there via taxi, train or bus. There's nothing much to buy here food-wise, so bring sandwiches. Here in Ostia Antica, you can see how ancient Romans lived everyday life, how they ate, worked and even went to the toilet. <clears throat> Your kids can run around in this massive open space filled with green grass and our famous Roman pine trees. They will definitely be ready for bed early that day. If you don't want to leave the city but you're craving more pine trees, head to Villa Borghese Park. This glorious space was originally built and designed in the early 1600s as the party villa of Cardinal Scipione Borghese. It is filled with lakes, pavilions, pine trees, gardens, and little kiosks where you can have refreshments. For something a bit spookier, Rome has some historic creepy catacombs and crypts. Picture being underground, in the dark, knowing that half a million people and 16 popes were buried all around you. The catacombs of San Calistus are the largest and most famous ones, but there's many others scattered around the city. We'll put some links in the notes. Make sure you book this experience in advance. For kids that love movies, visiting one of the cradles of cinematic history is super fun. 
Cinecittà Studio is the premier movie studio in all of Italy. So many films that have made history were shot here. We call it the Hollywood on the Tiber. Here, you can see sets of famous movies like Roman Holiday or Cleopatra. Plus, see extravagant costumes, directors' rooms, a tunnel of lights, and a gigantic empty soundstage with no echo. It's super entertaining for adults and kids. And now, to end the day on a sweet and thoroughly Italian note, head to Fata Morgana Chiavari, near Campo dei Fiori, and choose from the dozens of flavors of gelato. They also have vegan. My personal favorite are hazelnut and pistacchio, but their fruit flavors are also divine. Add panna, or whipped cream, to do it the Roman way. Take your gelato on a walk at sunset on the Lungo Tevere and observe as the city of a thousand stories quiets down just before welcoming the craziness of the night. Buonasera indeed. This city is a test of endurance, a marathon of grit and stubbornness and laziness set in the immovable knowledge that this is where you're meant to be. It is not surprising that true Romans value their heritage as much as anything else in their life. Both a child and an old woman, dirty and perfect, loving and unforgivable. This is Rome. She will remind you that time passes, but also that things are timeless. Thanks for listening to our Start Here episode for Rome. Now that we've enticed you in this insane and beautiful city, remember to check out the other Rome episodes in this guide for deeper dives into food, film, art, and more. If you're heading to Rome right now, in the near future, or would just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get the instant access to the full guide, plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app where you can also get pictures and maps and notes to the places in this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides from Barcelona, London, New York, LA, and many, many more. And many, many more to come. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it.